episode of the Inhumane Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Is there anything that is preventing you from achieving your goals? Anything at all? Is there a reason that you seem like you're in Stuckville and you just can't move forward? Well, BetterHelp is here to assess your needs and really match you with your own licensed professional therapist. I love that you're able to chat with them within 48 hours and it's not a crisis line. It's not for self-help. It really is just professional therapy and you can do this securely online. The services are available no matter your time zone and you can log into your account anytime and send your message to your therapist. It's like having them on speed dial. You can even schedule a weekly video or phone session and you never have to sit and wait in a lobby. BetterHelp is really committed to, you know, facilitating those great therapeutic matches, and they make it super easy and free to change therapists if you need to do so. I know with a lot of the service providers of anti-human trafficking organizations and people like you who are listening to this could have some vicarious trauma, and the therapists they see don't normally allow them to move back and forth. And so here, you're able to change therapists if you need to do so. Now, BetterHelp really wants you to start living a happier life today. And because they're doing such a great job, you can join over a million people who have taken charge of their own mental health and with the help of an experienced professional. And so we have an actual special offer for you today for all of the Inhumane podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash inhumane. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Inhumane Podcast, a hot pie media original. I am so glad that you're joining us today. Um, we have Mr. Alan Smith. He is the executive director of Saving Innocence um, out of LA joining us today. Ladies, men, young people, this is a call out to all of you to grab your friends, grab your loved ones, and really listen in to, you know, to this episode. Alan is going to take us from the perspective of a man on how to stop and prevent human trafficking happening in your own backyard, within your own families. Um, and his outlook is amazing. So join us for part one, part two. I'm hoping we don't have a part three. We'll just have him come back so we can continue on with that. But you're not going to want to miss this episode. Um, so let's listen in. Okay, Mr. Alan Smith, we are so grateful that you are coming on the Inhumane podcast. Um, so much to talk about. It is great to have the opposite gender as well to join the party um, on this show because, you know, we know based off our conversation before is men have to be part of the conversation and part of the solution. And I'm so excited for our listeners to know all that you've been doing and what you continue to do. Um, and I thank you for joining the fight um, of, you know, crimes against humanity. And that is human trafficking that is happening in our backyard, um, as well as all over the globe. And so you are currently, right, the executive director of Saving Innocence um, out of LA. And so I'd love for our listeners to know a little bit about, like, who is Saving Innocence? What is it that y'all do? Um, and then we're going to, we're going to go a little bit deeper because there are going to be some trigger warnings. Just want to give everyone cool. those, you know, <laughs> those, those warnings right from the get go. Um, when Alan's talking about, about saving innocence. So thank you, sir, for joining us. 
Oh, gosh, it's my honor and, and privilege and pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and thank you for shining your really big spotlight on this really important topic. I know that's what you're doing, generally speaking, but uh, as we tonight and today talk a little bit more about the man's role, male's role in all of this, um, that's not a topic that's necessarily talked about that much. So thank you. Um, uh, to answer your question, Saving Innocence is an 11-year-old anti-human trafficking agency. We're based in Los Angeles. Um, we, we consider ourselves national in the sense that we do train and consult around the country. We've been to about a dozen states on the ground training their law enforcement and their judicial system and their nonprofits, you know, on all things trafficking and what we do. And our specialty, which is actually changing right now, and I'll tell you a minute about that, but our specialty and really our niche has been this whole time, the child victims of sex mm -hmm. trafficking. Now, there's no good version of human trafficking. It's all repulsive and repugnant. But when you start talking about child victims of sex trafficking, you know, the average age of entry, 12, 13 years old, our youngest kiddo at Saving Innocence was seven years old when we received her. Yeah. It's just it's just incomprehensible what a broken society will allow to happen. And most mm -hmm. of those perpetrators are men. And um, so it's been our 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 privilege to be in that space and walk with these kids. We're first responders, partnered with the county and with law enforcement. And so when they uh, encounter what appears to be a, a minor, a child victim of sex trafficking, then they call us, we're on call. And I, my phone just buzzed. We just had another one late last night that I just heard about. And it's, it's ramping up because the Super Bowl is coming to Los Angeles in a couple of right. days. And so there's more and more activity. So we're, we're doing that. And I say it up until now, because just now, very recently, we've been named by the federal authorities with a grant and with their authority to co-lead along with the Sheriff's Department, uh, the largest human trafficking task force in the country based in Los Angeles. Whoa. And so with that, we're embracing by, by definition, by requirement, we're embracing all forms of human trafficking, labor trafficking, adult mm. trafficking, which previously we've just been focused on minors. And so we're helping to give leadership to the bigger space here and, and uh, have an, a little bit of a national stage uh, through that process. And so we're excited about what's coming next, but that's, that's kind of the medium sized story of what, what we've been doing and what we're up to. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations, because that really is totally amazing. And I love that. Like you said, you have been focused on minor, but to get the the grant and now with adult, um, how much they're so linked together. Right. And the even the web spread out when it comes to labor trafficking as well. And that's what a lot of people and, you know, we try to educate our listeners is how much they overlap and how much they're in sync with one another. I mean, with labor trafficking, they bring sex trafficking victims into the camps as well, right? And there you go. It's labor trafficking and sex trafficking, and then there's minor trafficking. So they just overlap. And I'm you're probably going to be able to shed such light on that pipeline of, right, how it's built from when they're children all the way up. Well, the one thing we know for sure is that wherever there's an adult version of the sex industry, there's a minor or a child version. They're hand in hand. They right. go one and the other. Uh, the most vulnerable are the children for a lot of reasons. We can talk mm -hmm. about it if you want later on. Um, and so those are the high, highest, most highly targeted um, future victims. And uh, so it's child and uh, children and adults are happening all at the same time. Same yeah, place. absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm excited to see what you're going to do on this task force. I'm sure you are going to going to rock it. And and I really pray that it's duplicatable so that, right, other states are able to kind of take that on and do the do the same thing. 
um, and yeah. tweak it how it best fits them. But that's the thing, right? And that's why I love bringing organizations like um, Saving Innocence on the Inhumane podcast because I'm like, hey, guys, you're always asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I'm like, these people have have something that's working. Duplicate that. Right. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and then you just tweak it that that fits your demographic and your laws and things like that. So we will definitely be looking out and seeing what it is that, you know, that you are doing. So I'm super excited for y'all. Um, now. You have the title of your book right behind you, Men Fight for Me. Um, and I just want to thank you for my own personal copy and 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 message. And I got to say, when you and I chit-chatted, like that title just reaches on the, I'm not a man, yet it reaches inside of me and it just pulls me forward because it's just like someone is crying out and saying, men, I need you. I need you to fight for me. Yes, have I been hurt by a man before, but I'm still asking you to fight for me. And so, gosh, it just, it just pulls me. And this is a call out to, to, to men and young men for that matter. And so before we dive really deep into that and before your life at Saving Innocence, it seems like you already were doing this work internally growing men, working with, partnering with men um, and young boys, um, your son specifically. And you were already fighting with your son for injustice by building, you know, this whole foundation for him. And our broken world that we currently live in, right? Culture is what's raising what's raising our boys um, and not mothers and not fathers, but it, it's this broken society. So just tell us a little bit about you and kind of how this all started, even you coming to Saving Innocence, because talking to you and then learning what you did in regards to like your daughter and already yeah. having those speaking engagements with relationships between a father and a daughter just was mind-blowing. I'm like, no wonder Alan is here. I see. It was already like that foundation was building. So I'd love for you to tell our audience yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, my my previous life before Saving Innocence, I've been with Saving Innocence for six years. I was on the Young Life staff for 25 years. And Young Life is a, a global um, uh, faith-based uh, nonprofit organization reaching out to all kinds of kids everywhere. And not specifically trafficking or specifically any type of kid, just all kids, yeah. summer camps and weekly meetings and all those kinds of things. Um, in the process of me being on the Young Life staff, being inundated with adolescence as my job description, um, I had my own children. I have a son and a daughter. And um, so I had a, a particular heart to help build into my son and help him know what a, a man is, a real man mm -hmm. is and what he isn't. And we could talk about that in a little bit. That's in the book. Um, and then for my little girl, um, I just wanted her to know from her first words how valuable she is and how loved and how worthy she is and that the world is going to be lying to her about those <laughs> things. And I wanted that I wanted her to know that her dad loved her and her mom, of course, too. Great mom, great wife. But her dad loved her and she was good enough for me and um, built that in from a young age. And then fast forward, you know, a few years. In my young life space, where I'm running these summer camps, you know, four or five hundred kids at this camp, half of them are girls, you know, high school age girls. And this conversation arose 
of um, having just a girls only meeting at the end of the week and a guys only meeting in another place. And for the girls only um, led wonderfully by one of my friends and colleagues who's a female. And she would kind of speaking these these issues into the girls lives of how valuable you are and how the media is lying to you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And I sat in the back of the room. I said, that was great. Might just be missing one little thing, a kind of a dad's perspective, a male perspective. If you're interested, I'll do it next week when the new camp comes around. And I got up kind of almost, you know, ad lib, didn't give a lot of time to it, but I spoke for 10 minutes from a dad's perspective. I'm not their dad, but I'm a dad yeah. and kind of the, the father's perspective and talked about their, their incredible value and their incredible worth. And, you know, don't settle for anyone who doesn't already think that. I mean, just, just some of those kinds of things, the kind of conversations I'd have my daughter. And next thing you know, I've maybe 200 girls in a room, 180 of them are crying. I bet. And <laughs> they'd never heard that before. Yeah. And um, so many of them were coming from disappointing or hurtful relationships with their own dad. And they just never heard a male voice speak affirmation to them and approval, those kinds of things. And then I heard later it was from the, the female counselors, that was the most impactful part of the entire seven day camp was that 10 minutes. So they heard from me, some old dad who just let them know how valuable they were. It's wow. like, wow. Mm -hmm. So there's something here. Yeah. And so I did start speaking to dads about having daughters and we had a whole seminar together with video clips and everything. It was really fun, really powerful. So fast forward to after 25 <laughs> years, I left the young life staff time for something different, new challenge, whatever. And I'd heard about saving innocence. And so I cold called them cold texted the founder, mm. Kim was amazing, showed up at the office, had the two hour version of the story on a one hour parking meter, got a parking <laughs> ticket while I was in there having my life changed. And yeah. I walked out of there saying everything I've done, everything I know, it all makes sense right now for this moment, right here, right now. That's right. They weren't hiring. There was, it wasn't a job interview. They hadn't done any money. There was no position. There was nothing. I was just, I'd love to hear more. Mm -hmm. So we kept talking. And um, again, I go into a little bit of detail in the book, but I just, they eventually asked me to join the team and that was six years ago. And it just made perfect sense. Kind of like you said, a lot of friends of mine were saying, this makes perfect sense. Of right. course. This episode of the Inhumane Podcast is brought to you by Canopy.us. Now, I know you've heard me talk a lot about the dangers of online in our world today. So I'm here to tell you about a few tips that can help protect your kids online from porn and sexting. I highly recommend, of course, to use parental controls on all of your family's devices. But the truth is that the average age of exposure to porn is 11 years old, and one in four kids have received a sext, and one in seven have actually sent one. So that's why Canopy is such an important app to install on your kids' devices. Canopy actually helps prevent the exposure to porn before it happens. They use their technology actually filters images and videos in milliseconds. And when Canopy detects a nude or lingerie-esque image, it's saved to your child devices. It will give them the option to delete or send to you for approval. That's like a lot of checks and balances. So you can try Canopy for today by using the code INHUMANE and check out for 30 days free and 20% off for life at canopy.us. And it's just in great alignment with my heart, who I am and the kinds of things I care about. See, and that is the key. And that's what I wanted to share, you know, with our audience is your, your personal background. Yes, you've done these things, but it really is what built you or helped you know, built the man that you, that you are and the character and what's in your heart. Right. And so that's what, you know, so many of our listeners and, and obviously people that I, I work with, 
they're constantly saying, yeah, but I'm not a social worker. I'm not this or I'm not that. I don't have the alphabets, you know, behind my name. And so then it means I can't do anything. I'm like, you were built for this. Like when we start talking about their lives and things that they have, like just who they are as people, I'm like, that's who, you know, victims at the time when they're right going through this, who they want to connect with. That's who a sex buyer can actually connect with. Um, because you are just, you, you were, you were working your way up to this, you know, to this part where your heart and your eyes are now open and seeing that there is this problem and you want to do something about it, you just got to find your role, right? And so that's, that is to me is just so important because we think of, we're, we're kind of comparing ourselves sometimes, like I said, to a social worker or law enforcement, or, and we think that we can't help as the public and it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and you're just speaking from a dad's perspective. And I love that you, you know, you something, we don't realize how girls don't have that fatherly figure that is actually maybe expressing how valuable they are. And we know by working with human trafficking uh, victims or people that were in the life survivors, you know, they tell you that. They tell you like, this was the first person to ever tell me I was worth something. And so I just thought that's what it looked like. They have no idea of it, that it could be any different. Um, and these are people who paid to go to a camp, right, from your perspective. So imagine those who don't have any other place yeah. to go to, right? So someone valued them enough to pay for it, for them to go, but they still didn't feel that way. And it's so important on how we're able to to change what culture and society is telling people or telling your girls what they are. Um, and so how do we get more, you know, more dads, more men on board to, you know, to do this? Um, so I thank you for sharing that. And this, this book, I couldn't put it down. Men fight for me. Um, and I love how you, you know, you partnered, of course, with individuals who have experience um, in human trafficking. And getting their perspective was fantastic, as well as people who are obviously partnering from law enforcement to psychology and social work and their perspective. Um, and it's just genius. And then from men, right, just from everyday men and, and where they're coming from and what they see. Um, and so I'm gonna, I have some really rich questions to, to ask you. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the crime of inhumanity when it comes to right human trafficking. There is there is an individual by the name of Rachel, mm -hmm. and you know she shares her her story, um, and I've I've heard her story before. And here's a little it's a little different I think in in your book in regards to write some of the different details and something that she that she said was if we don't take this crime person or I think maybe you wrote it but it's in regards to her story. If we don't take this crime personally, then it won't be taken seriously. So can you paint the picture of, right, of, of human trafficking and how society, I guess, views it and how this uh, sentence just really came to you? Um, I, think, I think if we start off there, then we can dive deeper into all the rest. Yeah, you know... I am deeply motivated, not as an executive director of an anti-trafficking agency, not as 
I mean, I don't consider myself an expert by any means, but you know, some people might say that just because I've been doing it, you know, 24 seven for six years, but I don't see it through that lens at all. I didn't have personal lived experience. I wasn't, I'm not a survivor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I view this as a dad with a daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, There are little boys that are caught up in this too, but um, most of the young victims are little girls. And so my uh, early training as a young dad, trying to figure it out with my daughter and then speaking to all these high school girls at Young Life Camp, uh, you know, every decision I make, every motivation that I have really is coming from that perspective. Um, These are little girls, young ladies who, for the most part, uh, were cheated out of a healthy, positive male role model, a.k.a. a father. That's what made them so vulnerable and available in the first place. Mm. Um, They didn't have a dad who spoke life into them and encouragement and affirmation and all the things that I tried hard to do and um, all the things that I'm speaking to men about now, your role as a father is absolutely critical. And this is not to minimize moms and women or anything like that. They're on, they're on task. They're doing their job. The the missing ingredient is healthy, positive men, Mm. not only in the family, but in this world. And so that's, that's my niche. I, I view it through the, I'm a dad with a daughter and now I've learned a few things about this space and um, it, it continues to permeate the way I think what I do, the things I say yes to the things I, I say no to it's it sort of become a little joke at saving innocence with our staff because I haven't said no to anything I've ever asked for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we just haven't said no. And, and, you know, particularly, things that come up with, you know, the needs of a child and, you know, some of them can be expensive and some of them are out of the box and some of them really aren't our quote responsibility. If it comes across my desk, it's a quick yes. How can I say no to that? (laughs) How can I say no about buying an emergency plane ticket to get a a 15 year old away from her dangerous situation back home to her family in Texas who can't afford a plane ticket? I'm not Mm -hmm. saying no to that. hundred percent. Get the plane ticket right now. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just one example. It happens every day um, because I'm thinking this little girl, might have a dad somewhere that wants her home or doesn't have a dad somewhere. And let me be that, fill that space of the dad who's going to protect her and send her back to safety where she needs to be. So that's a lot of my motivation. I'm not sure what else you asked in that question, but I just, was oh, no. the top of my yeah. head, what I was thinking about. No, that's great. Um, it really is. And man, taking on that responsibility, like you mentioned, is just, you know, I'm not her dad, but I'm a dad and I'm mm-hmm. going to protect her because she's not a number to you. She came across your desk, but she's not a yeah. number to you. And you're going to do anything you can and in all your power to get her back to her family and away from someone in the example you use. And I think that is a responsibility that some may seem or think like, oh, that's too grand. I can't do what Alan's doing. But in reality, they don't realize the smallest thing, the smallest thing can help that individual get out of the life, um, right? Because- these people, they know nothing, you know, nothing else. Um, something else that is in the book, um, because there's just such descriptive language that, you know, you and some of the survivors uh, used that just so powerful. And one of them is, you know, silence, right, is louder than you think. And my husband coming from, right, the, uh, being in the Marine Corps for 10 years, uh, silence is compliance is a big saying that they have, right? So you are compliant in whatever is happening. You are agreeing 
and whatever is happening. And one of the things that we constantly say at the Inhumane Podcast is, hey, what you didn't know is what you didn't know. But now that you know, you either are okay with human trafficking and turning a blind eye or you're not. And you're going to take action because it does affect us all. And so silence is louder than you think was super powerful and it resonates with me. And to do nothing is an act. You are taking action by doing nothing, right? And that is something that I don't think we talk about enough. And so your action can be to sit there and ignore it, go about your day or what have you. Now, we know some of the, we, we talk about that majority of the buyers are men, but we also know that they're women. Um, that there's a steady, right, 35 to 50-year-old white men from suburbia are the main buyers. But you and I know they come in all shapes and sizes. They come from all demographics and they come from all professions, professions that you wouldn't think, right? Whether they're police officers, judges, um, a teacher, a coach. Um, it's not just the person that to you looks grimy and disgusting and has gold teeth or what have you. No. They, you are walking and talking with them on a daily basis. They are your colleague. They said hi to you in the grocery store and so on and so forth. Um, so I totally agree with you that you need to, and what you stated in the book, that you need to, we as society need to eliminate calling them Johns, people who purchase sex, right? Because right. we have friends, fathers, family members that are named John. And it almost makes it like, Eh, this was just something, you know, that happens, you know, every day. And it's like normal behavior, right, to purchase because it's one of the oldest professions in the in history, as people like to, you know, like to call it. But for society's sake, we're not protecting the soul of a child, right, by by doing that. Um, and we need to just call it what it is. So tell us about uh, the buyers from y'all's perspective from this book, because it's it's genius how y'all lay that out. It's simple, I think, in the sense that people can comprehend it and really make them say, what the, like, what have I been thinking this whole, this whole time? So for us to understand the buyers, then I think we can um, understand some of the reasons you wrote this book. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, a big part of my message not only coming through the book, but just whoever I can talk to is on a Zoom early this morning with some East Coast guys on challenging them. And um, the idea is um, it, it requires more than just not participating. Mm. You have to push against it. You know, the, in this last couple of years in our country, we've had a significant civil uprising. And 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 there was a little term that was being thrown around. It's not good enough just to not be a racist. You should be an anti-racist. You should be fighting against racism, not just be neutral. And so this is, and use the word earlier, a crime against humanity. So I'm calling, and my niche is men, because men are the biggest part of the problem. It's not just okay enough to just not be participating. I need you men to get out there and push against it. So the buyers, part of the part of what we have to do is we have to expand the definition of what a sex buyer is. Mm. Um, yeah, we're not going to call him a John. They're a sex buyer. That's a leftover term from an outdated understanding of this crime. It's a good old boys network. Oh, just go home and go home, be, be with your wife. They put handcuffs on the 14-year-old. They send the guy home. Look mm. at the John. No, let's use his name. Let's at least call him a sex buyer or a rapist. That's mm. what he is. Mm-hmm. Those girls don't want to be there. You're raping them. Mm-hmm. So let's say that. Okay. Uh, the buyer can be anyone. It, it's the guy next door. It might be the guy next door. Your listeners, you, you all know someone who has bought sex. That's right. 
Um, it's teachers and little league coaches and dentists. It's cops, it's pastors, it's friends. It's, it's not the guy living in the van down by the river. Mm -hmm. Um, he might be buying sex also, but, um, it's the normal person who's developed some kind of a addiction, some kind of a sex addiction, most likely through pornography. Um, and now he's satisfying this need air quote need. Um, and he's doing it at the expense of someone else because his wife, he's afraid to ask his wife. He wants to live out this little fantasy, this fetish, mm-hmm. or he has asked. He said, what are you talking about? So he's going to go buy someone who he has power over. There's some interesting, powerful themes in that. Yeah. Buy someone that he has power over. Some 80% of our saving innocence clients are little girls of color for various reasons. They are being purchased like a product, like a commodity, because someone feels like they're going to have power over them. It's mm-hmm. disgusting. Uh, but what we do have to do, though, to have, have a real conversation with men everywhere is that we have to help men understand. This is part of my early morning call this morning. Um, yeah, there's a small percentage of men that are actually going someplace to buy their time to rent a woman, a child for 30 minutes or 10 minutes or an hour, whatever it is, like buying sex, the mm-hmm. conventional definition. Yes, that is sex buying. But what is also a commercial sex act, which is sex buying, is just going to a strip club. You're not having sex with anybody necessarily. I mean, maybe it ends up that way, Mm -hmm. but you're not, you're just going there watching somebody you're paying your money uh, for the sexual situation. That's a commercial sex act. You're a sex buyer. And then where it hits home and I know women are involved in this, but again, my lane is men, huge majority of men are consuming pornography on a regular basis. That's commercial sex. You're buying sex. Mm -hmm. If you're watching pornography. So all of a sudden we just threw the net around almost all men. It seems like. Right. You're a sex buyer, guys, if you're watching porn. But no, I just do the free thing. I'm not paying for it. Okay, that's great. So you somehow found a way to watch free pornography. Guess what? They are monetizing your clicks in your eyeballs. They are making money off you watching free sex. And the most chilling thing at all about it, it's never been something, knock on wood, uh, (laughs) it's never been something that I have struggled with. But I'm telling you, what I know now has completely solved any possible urge I might have because we've had trafficking survivors that have said, I was trafficked, controlled, forced to go into a motel room or a movie set. They filmed me being raped. And now that made its way up onto the porn site. Mm -hmm. And the knucklehead sitting on his computer or his phone late at night when his wife's in bed looking at porn has no way of knowing. That's right. Who is there consensually, which is a very small percentage, if any. Mm -hmm. And who is there non-consensually, which is most of the people you see in porn. Right. Well, I'm no lawyer, but non-consensual sex is called rape. Mm -hmm. So men... You're literally going to somehow find some gratification watching somebody getting raped. Yeah. Most of the women don't want to be there at all. Some would say they do. Most don't. Guys, we got to be better than that. Hmm. And this is the desensitization. They say the first age of exposure is like eight years old. Yeah. Nine years old pornography. It's decreased. Mm-hmm. We're desensitizing young minds, both boys and girls, in a time when they are no way able to handle what they're seeing. And it's setting them down a path. It's re- uh, wiring their neural network yeah, and they are buying sex and they are our future buyers and our future sellers mm-hmm. um, being groomed in pornography. So if we expand the, expand the definite who a buyer is, it, it can look like anybody and it does look like anybody <laughs> and more people are buying sex than previously I'd even considered. So guys, I challenge you to think about what I just said. Yeah. Ooh, thank you for that challenge. Cause that's, Oh God, it, you know, and you and I talked about this in, you know, in our call before is, Whenever I talk to to men, because I'm talking to them from a female perspective, um, and I and they can't fathom that going into a strip club, and they can't fathom that buying, um, you know, or clicking on uh, pornography that 
They're like, no, everybody, like you've heard it, they choose to be there. And I'm like, you are literally rolling the dice. You have no idea. It's a 50-50. Well, our percentages are are much higher, in my opinion. It's like a 90% chance you're going to catch someone or watch someone who is not consenting to be there. Um, but for math's sake, let's just say 50%. Like you're rolling the dice every single time. You have no idea if that person is there out of their, literally their own free will or not. Um, and that is even tricky as you talk about in the book, right? About choices and no choices. Okay. We are going to push pause on part one with Alan Smith. Um, this stuff is just so rich, this information that we are providing you all. So we just need to push pause. We need to take a break, but I implore you to come back and listen to what he has to say in our conversation for part two. See you in a bit. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.